0: You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do 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 you love her? 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 Do you love it do you love her do you love it 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 do you love her one time for the lovers two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers four times for the babies do you love her do you love it do you love her do you love it do you love it do you love her do you love it do you love her do you love it do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love it do you love it do you love her brown skin love for brown skin love for brown brown skin love a brown skin love a brown she my brown skin love a brown skin love a brown she my brown skin love a brown skin Hold me down welcome world to the minority trouble Blazer podcast and i'm your host greg e hill the culture change agent once before i begin i want to shout out laka shaw who provided the intro theme music to minority trouble blazers podcast Matter of fact, he just had an album drop. It's on SoundCloud. Look out for him. Lock, L-O-C-K-E, on SoundCloud and L-O-C-K-E. Also on Apple Music. Check out his last album. It's nuts. It's crazy. We might get him provide a season four intro. Or we might just keep rocking with this one. I just love the vibe. Brown skin. Love for brown skin. I'm oh, my bad. I'm just hype. I'm hype. Also, special shout out to you listening. Y'all stay with me, man. 56 episodes. And throughout it all, now continue to download, you continue to share with your friends, and I appreciate you. I do not take you for granted. Also, if you have anybody or want to refer anybody to be viewed on the podcast, I'm opening up season four and five guests for the show. I already have a pretty good lineup, but I could take some new additions. So make sure you at me on Twitter, at me on Instagram, send me an email, greg at greggyhill.com. Make sure you let me know. I will try to get them on air. We can have that open up that conversation. Please make sure you do that. This episode is going to be great. I'm interviewing a boss, but a boss with an A, B-A-U-C-E, and she is the online founder and editor at Boss Magazine, a lifestyle magazine for self-made women of all these sense. And what I'm telling you, as a matter of fact, is venture capitalist backed and funded. I was like, how do you get a magazine venture capital backed? I don't understand how that happens. I want to get back. Why can't get this podcast back? She going to tell us how to do that. (laughs) But also, she has amazing layout online. Make sure you check it out. B-A-U-C-E mag.com, bossmag.com. Amazing layout website, amazing interviews, amazing articles about real world stuff that, that men can benefit from too, but definitely are women that are shaking up corporate America, shaking up the entrepreneurship lane shaking up lives, shaking up stomachs and giving giving out, uh, not giving out, but bringing people into the world, all that good stuff. So make sure you check her out. She is a testament. Yale created, but from the motherland. <laughs> Let me get off the mic if I say something crazy. <laughs> but a quick update, y'all. Man, it's like, yo, why is this year going by so fast? First of all, I'm North Carolina right now woke up this morning about 26 degrees I'm looking at my fro I didn't grow my hair out, my fro all patted down I'm like, where am I left at?" and I'm just like, yo I'm about to be 28 my birthday's in September, but I feel like ever since 25 I've just been running to get to 30 and when I get 30 I'll be running to get to 40. so I'm like life slow down life slow down life slowed down and I, I I want to talk about it more on next podcast because I'm in a weird place and I need some advice. As far as just what things are going on around me, what things are going on in the world, and how I really want to impact it. And I want to get some listener feedback, but I don't want to jump into it in this show, but make sure you check out next episode. I'm going to dive right in and share some personal stuff that I think y'all would uh, benefit from and hopefully identify with, too, because I, I feel like maybe a lot of people are in the same place I am. Please keep me in your prayers. But... Let's pivot. We about to jump right into the show. I'm not doing a seven, eight minute intro this time. I got y'all next podcast, but this podcast is all about our guests. She's about to add value, she's about to be inspiration. And most importantly, if you go look on her website and what she has planned, what she's gonna be debuting over the next couple of years, she's gonna be it. Alright, so let's jump into the show. On this show we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate empower and inspire our current and future generational leaders and you already know i've said it 55 56 going on 57 times i got a show for you today i'm gonna read a snippet of the bio and then we're gonna jump right into the action she calls herself a witty diva that it makes the impossible possible i like it and she is the founder and editorial director of boss magazine a lifestyle site for self-made women of color Boss was acquired in 2016 and is currently backed by Angel Investors. A digital media enthusiast at heart, she is a web designer, developer that loves technology, art, and dang good storytelling. Her professional experience includes working in marketing for one of the world's leading technology companies and freelance agency web development work for small and big brands alike. She's also actively committed to diversifying the tech and media industries, and she currently sits on the advisory board for Ad Color, an organization that seeks to recognize and uplift multicultural talent in the advertising, media, and marketing industries, and she also volunteers as digital media mentor for Girls Right Now and is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Raised in Atlanta, Georgia, she received a BA in English and Ethnic Studies from Yale University and i guarantee she has a lot of value to add she's been putting on for the cultures her content on her site when i tell you it is amazing and i am just excited to have her on the show it's an honor and a privilege and with, so without further ado i would like to introduce leanne membes founder of boss magazine to the minority trailblazer podcast welcome to the show
1: thank you thank you i'm so excited to be on the show today um You would make a really great hype man. I don't know if that was ever (laughs) one of your jobs in your past life. But I could definitely see you working for like Jay Z or something. But thank you for that fabulous intro. <laughs>
0: no, nah, I appreciate that. In middle school, that's why when I read, because I used to, I used to write, I used to, I used to write rhymes and stuff like that. I had a tape, and it got destroyed in middle school. But I said, <laughs> if I didn't have the swag or the backstory, because that was back when, back before the Drake type rappers, and I'm a huge Drake fan. Drake type used to have to have like a gritty backstory or come up. And I was like, I really wasn't raised like that, so mm-hmm. I know I was like, my backstory is gonna get exposed sooner or later. So I said I can't, but I said I could be a hype man because I knew lines, and I was like, "Yo, I can get people hype. That's cool." So I always imagined like me with the mic before the the, the main guy go on stage, getting everybody have going the songs, and then passing the mic. I think I saw a Busta Rhymes video back in the day. You remember his hype man he used to like steal the show? Yeah, I yeah. Thinking, I, could be, I could be like him. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about this show as well, and you already know every oh, for my listeners. I usually have the same format. We might change in in season 4, but we might not. But I like it. It's the first, the past, the present and the future. In the past, we just break down our guests before before they were doing what they were doing and and just kind of get to know them, get a flavor. Then we have the present where we talk about their business, what it what they do, even if it's not a business. Whatever they're doing, we talk about what they're doing. But also try to get some some context and some applicational strategy. So whoever's listening, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a educator, whether you are a consultant, whatever you do that you can get some takeaways from it. And then we'd like to talk about the future, because at the end of the day, I'm a big proponent of in order to get to your future and reach it. You got to plan it and see what it looked like. So before we get in. We always started off with a quote and a story about how they use the quote in the everyday life. So, Miss Members, can you share with us one of your favorite quotes and how you have applied that quote recently in your everyday life?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think there's so many that I like live to. But I would say one of my favorite quotes, um, and I'm not really sure who's the author of it, but um, it pretty much goes like um, if you... Talk the talk, you must walk the walk. Um, (laughs) And the way I apply that to my everyday life is the fact that I really believe in the importance of being a woman or man of your word, um, being impeccable with your speech, um, and just being a person that someone can trust and lean on whenever you say you're going to do something. Um, And also, not only for other people, but holding yourself to your own um, words and standards. So um, it's something that I remind myself of whenever it's like, you know, I need to be accountable, whether it's Leanne, you said you're going to iron your clothes before you woke up this morning. Um, Or if it's something bigger, like, yo, we said we're going to do a video interview for boss and we want to make sure we, you know, meet these deadlines and make sure everything comes out on time. So that's kind of like, I would say one of my biggest life mottos that I abide by. Um, And I just see it throughout every aspect of my life with myself, my friends, my family, Um, and with other people
0: as well that is that is that is a very very amazing by, and it's crazy that you say that because i'm reading a book right now called stop talking start communicating and i've always Mm. had it in the back of my head the understanding of really the importance of words but you know i'm a speaker and i'm a guy that talks a lot so sometimes i don't i'm not economical with my words however Mm. it's 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 a science, and it's, it's the people that do what they say they're going to do. Those are usually the people that that blow. it. people just say a lot but do a little, even if mm-hmm. the stuff they do is good, it's it, it's gonna it's gonna erode trust in other people. It's gonna erode confidence from other people because they fall through, and then they never really get to where they need to go. And I've exactly. am I, and I'm one of the biggest proponents of that. And I think that's, I think a lot of people's challenge, some people's challenges they don't say really enough, but some people's mm-hmm. challenges they, if you're a people pleaser, then you always want to appease people, make people happy, not say no. So then you find yourself half-heartedly saying yes or saying, oh, I got you on a lot of stuff that you really, they're not really pertinent. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really think just speaking less, doing more is a great way to kind of embody that level of like, silent integrity to some degree so that way you know I mean and a lot of times you're right it's like we overcommit or we say we're gonna do stuff then we don't do it and it just like makes you look bad to your friends and everybody so sometimes it's just better to you know speak less do more be a woman of your word um you know really do what you say you're gonna do that's really how you build confidence in others and confidence in yourself
0: question of that though is like how do you do? I mean, it's, 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 and I was like, how do you do that? You just say no, but it's like, it's simple. It sounds, it sounds good here. But say a friend says, Hey, real quick, I got something going on. Hey, do you think, um, um, you think you would like to come over? And in, in your head, you're like, Okay, I'm probably not even going to make that way. But like, sure, I'm going to think about it. Even it's like, No, that's really enough. You can be like, Nah, it's, just, it's not, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a good time. But then sometimes you even say, Oh, yeah, cool, I'm down. Knowing you're not yeah. down and you know you're going to send a text message like three hours before, like, Hey, something came like, up. I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: That would be so terrible. You know, I really and I, I say this because I feel like I learned this in college. Um, it was so like everybody wanted you to do this or like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me move? Can you come to my bank? Can you do this? And I'm the type of person that, you know, I really try to be a good friend um via my actions. Like I really try to go above and beyond for people. Um, but I learned after a while, you know, sometimes overcommitting for others, you undercommit for yourself. Um, and so, you know. I I would find myself trying to juggle 10 things or I'd be at someone's event for three minutes and then like, oh, got to go to this, got to go to do that. (laughs) And I realized like, you know, even though I was saying I was committing to all these things with my words, like my action wasn't showing through. I wasn't really present because I'm already thinking about the next thing I have to go do. Um, And so I've really just kind of learned to be like, you know, if I can't make this work, like, hey, if I can't come to your birthday party, I'd rather be like honest up front and say I couldn't make it. But how about I take you out to dinner next week or something like that? So that way I don't feel like, you know, I'm lying to their face or, you know, Leanne's always flaking. She never comes to anything or something like that. Um, but yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I try to avoid those situations by just being like upfront or if I don't know, saying I don't know um, or I need to think about it. Um, I think it's better to kind of use that as a response versus, you know, committing to something and then, you know, you get the text five seconds before five (laughs) five minutes late and it's like oh actually i'm not coming um so yeah i I definitely get what you're saying there yeah
0: change the default answer to uh let me think about that or i don't know or um yeah i let me let me get it let me get a couple seconds like because usually the default answer is yes it's like okay sure (laughs) heck yeah you already know bro i done said this so many (laughs) times you already know you already know okay no doubt no doubt, what is that? But that's neither here nor there. But that's, that's always uh, interesting to kind of ask, especially uh, not to jump too far into the show. But especially when you're you're running a a, a pretty visible business or doing something that people other people can see. You know, mm-hmm. you probably, I know, especially you you have an online platform which reaches a lot of viewers. There's so many things that, or so many people that. So many people, so many organizations or whatnot, they may reach out, they, they would like something to have. And in their head, it's like, oh, it's a quick ask or it's quick this or revive your time or this or that. And you really have to make some real big decisions on, hey, how are you going to spend your time answering this? Or is it worth answering? Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. th- that's, I know, I know you probably have to deal with that a lot.
1: Yeah. I was about to say, I'm like, I feel like a lot of the times when people reach out to us about stuff at Boss, like we're thinking about how to respond. It's not that, you know, maybe there is a yes for like, okay, what's the best way to respond to this? Or maybe it's like, hmm, I just need more information. How do we, you know, craft this message? I feel like I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm going to respond to people um, from time to time or how my team should respond to something. Um, So I definitely, you know, see how that kind of plays a role in different avenues um, of our lives, especially via boss as well. So um, definitely a very, very pertinent kind of topic
0: to think about. It is because got me I mean,
1: thinking already. <laughs>
0: yeah, because really, because the all because that if somebody says a wrangler email, it. Honestly, even if you are saying yes, it's really not that big. But the time, mm-hmm. the time you're spending at ten to fifteen minutes because you're thinking about how should I really respond to this? Because even if you say yes, you got to think about a time, maybe a location, or who you need to contact with to make it happen. And then you don't occupy twenty minutes of good miss membeses brain power and thought process <laughs> to something that somebody just shot off real quick and i was like what the what, what i'm thinking about it. somebody just asked me something really small and i didn't utilize 30 minutes of my brain power on this and it just and i don't i, I, I don't know but i think you said something big real earlier about we overcommit to other people and then we undercommit to ourselves. So it's hard to grow your own business when you're you're spending so much time thinking about what you're going to say because you you have to think about what you're going to say because I was talking to, and I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but I was talking, I was thinking about, just thinking about relationships, right? Or things that could go into relationships. And in my head, I consider myself almost a master level communicator as far as speaking. That's what I do for a living. I get paid big bucks to do that. However, in my head, I was last week, um uh, I I wanted to go uh take this girl out, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of me and my instead of me saying, "Hey, uh doing being intentional being like, okay, um well, let's go to X restaurant at 7. Are you free at 7? Let's go to X restaurant." Instead of me saying that, I sent a bland text message I said, "What you got shaking this weekend?" I'm I'm a professional <laughs> guy. Like, not, I I don't always talk like that, but in my head, <laughs> I thought that was going to lead to okay, what what you got shaking the tweet? Okay, cool. Well, then I was gonna get around Friday night, not being direct, not being focused. But the thing thing was, if you don't think about what you're saying, you just put it out there. You think the other person on the line is like, okay, she gets what you're saying, but then she's like, Greg is what is Greg's talking about? I, 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 what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, like what? So no intentionality beyond that. So that's why you really have. That's why I, I love what you said about really being not also saying yes and no, but being really being intentional with your words because i I've seen it and I'm not going to go through a conversation I had last night but I've seen it first hand. the way you reply to stuff it directs how people feel where the conversation can go and a lot of different things so you just especially as you get older you, the words are so critical mm. but let's get to the show uh personal background before boss magazine before marketing before before Yale before all this who is who is miss members who is Leanne Members?
1: Yes. um, She is uh, (laughs) a Southern girl. Um, So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Both my parents are Nigerians. I'm a Nigerian-American, African-American, and proud of that, proud to know um, that culture and that heritage. Um, But growing up with Nigerian parents meant growing up in a strict household, um, education was always first. Education was always important. Um, I didn't grow up with A lot of money, to be honest. Um, We, you know, when I was, I would say around, I think between the ages of three and five, you know, we lived in like public housing for a bit, um, had food stamps from time to time. And then eventually my dad was able to get like a little bit more of a, I guess, secure working class job, um, working with like some hotel chains and stuff. Um, And so we were able to kind of move up out of the situation we were in um, at the time and then kind of, continue to grow our family in Atlanta uh so as a young girl I thought I wanted to be an author I was obsessed with books obsessed with reading I read like goosebumps all the time like ooh, all of these ooh, everything I love goosebumps. I loved goosebumps which a lot of people thought I'm like a girl why do you like goosebumps? <laughs> I was just so obsessed with just the series and like different things like that and so I was obsessed with that I think I wrote like a book or a young adult novel I don't even know what it's about anymore. When I was sixteen, I think I have it saved on a floppy disk somewhere in my mom's floppies. house.
0: Floppies, I remember the yes.
1: floppies. <laughs> yes, on Word, I wrote it up on like Microsoft Word. I, I think it was it was pretty long. Um, so I think I was a little proud of myself then. But so when I was younger, I thought I was gonna write books for a living, and then I realized by the time I was in high school, like you have to pay bills when you're an adult and be a real person. And, you know, not saying I could never write a book. That's still a dream. But, you know, it definitely uh, takes time and effort to kind of get yourself stable and grounded as an independent adult. So I think that's when I started to turn to media as a platform for where I was like, you know, I could find a secure, stable job and this is what I love. Um, And so my interest in books started to transition towards magazines um and at the time back then in the day there were a lot of different kind of publications out I mean you had a lot of your major titles so the Glamour's and 17 and like Condé Nast and Hearst and then you know I think there was a small point in time there was like Honey Magazine for black women (laughs) so cool yes I was like this was so cool and so inspiring because there wasn't a lot of stuff like that you know you had Ebony and then there was Essence but for like a young um Woman of color, like Honey, was very inspiring, and I was like, you know, I would love to work for a magazine one day. Uh, so I feel like the Leanne before, you know, Boss and collet and all this stuff was, you know, a young girl that dreams a lot. I had big city dreams. I wanted to move to New York from the time I was maybe 12 years old. I never. Been to New York, but I was like, you know, that's where all the media companies are. That's where the writers are. That's where all the literary agents are. Like, I need to be in New York. Um, and I feel like I've grown into this like city girl that loves cosmopolitan places. Uh, but I'm still like a southerner at heart that loves hospitality and and loves the southern charm and loves being a lady and all that stuff. So I would say that is kind of the essence of who I was I was also a little bit of a Tom girl um I used to climb trees I used to make mud pies I used to be <laughs> running around in the fields my I have an older brother so I would like play football with him and I didn't know what I was doing I was always getting hurt but um yeah so that was a little bit of me I was kind of like a Tom boy back in the day and then in love with media and stuff and then transitioned I guess more so into like a diva like Fitty <laughs> girl that I am now so it's interesting to even think back to um that little Leanne and who she was
0: yeah that's crazy it's, it's always good to link back and then it's like when it when did I get so tainted by the world <laughs>
1: <When> yes did, <laughs> I was like I was so innocent like what when so, does that turn yeah.
0: occur is it current in college when it's like when you dealing with real or, or does it is it after after college that's you know that's just when it gets weird but that's
1: nice. <laughs> I, I don't know Yeah feel like I think it has to be I feel like I mean you don't really really know what it's like to live life until you're really on your own um so I feel like senior year of college graduating I was like oh this is what real life is like like you pay bills and you do all these things and you live with strangers and you try to figure out stuff um so I think For me, I would say college was, you're still kind of a little protected, Mm -hmm. um, but you're on your own a bit. Um, So I think I would say that's when I began to navigate things. And that's when I was like, you know, started to become a woman and dealing with the real world. But definitely after college was like, mommy and daddy are not, you know, giving me an allowance anymore. Not that they did really ever, but (laughs) really like you are on your own like they're not paying for my flights back to leanna Leanne is so that's yeah. little, it got
0: real it gets real and then you have to think about and this is small but this is real your schedule when you get older you say if you get your first job it's like so what do i really do after work it's like okay i have to work five to nine like I don't occupy about that time. Luckily, sooner or later, I was like, "Yo, this is what you should be reading, personal development, working out, doing stuff." But it's like it's just a void. It's like this is this no programming. This is this is it. And if you don't find a job or law, then it just really gets weird. It's just like yeah. I mean, luckily I was I was fortunate. Any the, the when I graduated to 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 have opportunities I already kind of lined up. However, though it's it's still it was still weird for me. So I can only imagine if you graduate and it's like. It's it's crickets and it's like wow not to do all that but that's neither here nor there that's not the focus of this podcast however I want to go back there's two things out of your early journey that I just want to ask because typically I don't, I've had a lot of um, people of Nigerian descent on the show shout out mm-hmm. shout out to Nigeria cause they they listen to the podcast yeah, yeah, of Africa they they, they show did. hella <laughs> love hella love so I gotta show love to that. But I know you said that y'all lived in public housing. I know a lot of Nigerian. This might be a stereotype, but you're very prideful in a sense. So, I, I, so how did I? How how was the tension in the household when when those years? Not to get too personal, but those years in public housing.
1: Yeah. Um. So at that time, um, it was interesting because when I, um, so I guess from the time I was born, I was born in Dallas, and then, um, my parents were separated for about. A couple of years, and when we were se, when they were separated, my dad was in Atlanta, my mom. We were in um Anniston, like which is closer to I guess Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when you know when I was living with my mom, um, and my brother and my older sister. Uh, we were living in like public housing at the time because it was literally like us and her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was definitely an interesting time because, it, I I think it's weird because I think when I was younger, I didn't really no like i didn't really know what was going on i didn't really realize that we didn't have a lot of money until like you know the holidays would roll around and you know we didn't really get the biggest or fanciest gifts or you know we'd be in the kitchen and like you see a roach run across the floor there's like a dead mouse somewhere and oh, you're man. like oh like this this isn't as nice as like other people's houses um i think the biggest um thing that really stood out for me during those times was like feeling like you were in a house, but the walls were paper thin. So you could hear the neighbors next door fighting or the police are constantly getting called to your block. Um, We couldn't stay outside, you know, later than a certain time because my mom was always fearful that something was going to happen. And then, you know, some of the other kids on the block were a little rougher and my mom was just not having that. So I felt like I spent a lot of my time um, during those years, like in, in our house. And it was just pretty much like you know, my mom, I think that's kind of where the whole reading obsession came into play. Cause my mom would, you know, if she didn't want us on the street, she didn't want us like hanging around bad kids, um, in the, in the area. So it was like, we would either be at home doing our homework or, you know, I was a little bit younger. So my mom would take us to the library every weekend and we'd check out books and then we were forced to like read them. <laughs> um, so I think that was kind of our way of being able to create a solace and cope in those conditions because, it wasn't the easiest. Like sometimes there were weeks where, you know, we didn't have that much money to eat or, um, you know, my mom's just trying to scrape things together and make something for us. Um, and so it, it definitely, I would say was a time that I vividly remember the details and how hard it is to raise a child in those kind of conditions. And I think it's one of, it's kind of been a main motivating factor for me to be like, you know, I want to get to a place in my life where I'm successful enough and, you know, able enough to raise a child in a more um, nurturing environment. Cause it is, it is definitely rough in certain parts of this country um, in the world. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That's thank you for that. And also, and I think I've asked this in, in, in other podcasts, but I, I I, for, I I forget the answer. Why in the Nigerian culture for the most part, especially for those that transplant into America, is education so, like, so, so critical and important?
1: I would say because for my parents who grew up, like, in villages, and we're talking about places where there are no toilets. Like you go to the bathroom, um, maybe in a room that has a hole in the wall or maybe outside. Um, For them growing up in those spaces, education was always seen as the way out of that. You know, they would see people in their families or, you know, distant relatives go off and leave and go to university. And then they're living in like the cities or they've migrated to another country. And, you know, in their head, they have all these visions of, what it means to be educated they've watched tv american movies and think about coming to america and it's like okay the only way you can really get there is if you go to school and that's how you rise out of poverty and i mean i i mean i even think to some degree you see that a lot here in the u.s it's Mm -hmm. like if you can just get yourself to a certain level of education, whether it's just like getting a good vocational job or maybe it's all the way to becoming a professor or whatever it may be. Um, and school's not for everyone, but I will say, I just feel like Nigerians, like that is the essence of making it from literally nothing <laughs> to like, okay, I might have something or I could have a, a home with four walls or, you know, my my place can be conditioned or, you know, we can have proper electricity. So my parents really very much grew up on that kind of mentality, and they raised us to be the same way. Like, A's are A's, B's are like having an F, and you're gonna get yelled <laughs> at or buttons. Um, they just stress the importance of perfection, I think. And the second layer is also the fact that they know what it's like to be an immigrant in America and how that's kind of almost a double, um, a dual kind of disadvantage for them. It's like, you know, not only are we people of color, not only are we black people or brown people. But we also have these accents We're, you know, we're immigrants, like, it's almost as if they had to work 10 times as hard as their counterparts to be successful. So for them, I think that's why they push us so hard. Or I know why my parents push me so hard to, you know, read your books or learn this, oh, you finished your homework here, do this, like, don't watch TV or don't play with these people or don't hang out. Like, it was very much like, education education like is the way I think I remember my dad even said like you can't date anyone until you get a college degree (laughs) (laughs) like I'm like okay dad like what about prom um they were just it was just like that's how much it meant to them like I was not I feel like until I graduated from college like I couldn't do anything and so um yeah for them like that's kind of a big thing and you know it's kind of stuck with me as well
0: that's that's phenomenal. And I always think, even though there's definitely, and this is this ain't the historian podcast, and I'm dang sure not the guy to be giving historical evidence or citing historical sources or anything like of that nature. But I always think it's, it's I always get kind of sad in the sense where the African Americans that stay in education now, being in education as well, the how how the parents they they don't really a lot, not all the parents, but at certain mm-hmm. at certain places, certain schools, certain environments education is so like it is what it is it's like i'm yeah. doing, i don't i could I, I care less i'm in school And you have to do so much just to get them to do so little mm-hmm. and it's like That's man fair. what in the world but then you and i went to answer and it and, and, and this happens in majority of schools the international students they come they getting 4.0s i'm talking about all of them like it's 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 insanity <laughs> the ones that come i know of, and of course they kind of the, the books are kind of cooked because a lot of times especially in in places like china and south asia they send their best and they got if you got over a couple billion, you're gonna send your best and brightest to the United States, and they come and they dominate. They eating right. books. They're sitting they there in the over. computer they they in, eat every, books. in the library and <laughs> all this stuff. You think HB, HB, ANC's HBCU? <laughs> you go in the library, you think it's a predominantly white institution? Because um, I'm wow. like, what in the world, it just I, I'm I'm like, goodness gracious. <laughs> and it's just and the people that are from the Africans, unfortunately, that are from the United States, and there's just there's a big there's a big larger conversation on why that's the case, but mm-hmm. we're so apathetic about it. But when we need it, though, I'm just like when you especially if you if you don't got nothing, but you apathetic about something that in our society is is valued in a sense where you don't even have to be that talented. But if you if, you're, if you have an education, you have some type of off about you, you can get a, 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 a above average job. But it's just Absolutely, I don't know. That's yeah. that's a conversation for another that's day.
1: That's a and, whole nother podcast. Yeah, that's a whole <laughs> nother
0: podcast. But uh, and before we get to because I didn't want to ask one question about college, but before we get to there goosebumps did you like? did you like the goosebumps books where you get to create your own ending or you can like go to the one where I don't it's like think I, ever,
1: I don't think i ever read enough of those i mean i kind of read the typical series um so oh my gosh like the ones with the talking dummies and like the oh, yeah. the horror houses and i literally i don't even know what it was about like because I'm like, they weren't really scary books, but I think I just like the mystery kind of aspect of it and figuring things out a little bit, um, and just the way they would describe things. So, but I never read. They, I didn't even realize there were ones where you could create your own ending. What?
0: Like my for, my for my for my listeners right now, I know y'all remember. Comment on the SoundCloud wherever your your platform you're on. <laughs> there's these books where it's like, well, if you want to go behind the door, turn to page 87. If you would like oh, to, oh
1: yes, I do remember it now. Yes, 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 yes. Those yes, were yes, the game those. changes. Yes, that was that was innovation in its time. Like I've never, I don't even know if people still do that, but I was like, like that was different because I was like, goosebumps. I feel like was the only kind of series that had that and that was super cool and it was like you could get really far in I remember I would get really far in and then you know I'd choose an option it was like oh it's over you died Bro, or something that, crazy and it's like no 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 go back like I want to live again and then I would change to a different place oh no, no it's cr-
0: oh no, man there's nothing it like was- you you turn to 87 like you almost there you almost in it's just like yeah. the guy comes
1: I was like, that was really creative. Shout out to R.L. Stein who created that. <laughs> like, pretty
0: clever. Pretty yeah. clever. I may, may want to go now. I got adult money. I may want to to Amazon just buy like the whole right. hundred eighty <laughs> series for maybe like three hundred dollars and just read for. I just need here or there. But um, only got one question about college, and I want to take this vantage point because first, what, you overlooked the whole thing. How did you go from how did how did it happen uh, the, 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 to to nascent poverty a little bit and then and then getting out of that but then yeah where did that come from and then was that full scholarship like how was that did the the, the family hit a lick and we they just cashed you out and got you in the year like how how did that whole
1: uh, (laughs) no 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 no. so I think um basically what happened with that is I so I would say around like my sophomore year of high school um I started thinking a lot about you know, I want to go to college, I want to go to a great college. And my mom, I think for a long time, would talk about Harvard this, Harvard that. And I'm like, I I didn't want to go to Harvard. Um, I think it was just like my mom would always talk about, you know, you got to do the best. You got to go to the top. You got to go there. So she would always talk about going to Harvard. Um, and Yale had not even crossed my mind. I don't even think I was really super familiar with all the Ivy Leagues. You know, I'd heard about Yale. I heard about Princeton, but they were so distant and foreign to me. Cause I was like, you know, I don't think they would accept kids like me that are, you know, from like working class immigrant families, you know, cause I all heard about these schools are like, they're really expensive and they accept a lot of smart kids and a lot of them go to private schools, So I just felt like I never stood a chance. Um, and I had a high school, my high school science teacher, who basically was like, you need to really push yourself and apply to these schools. And I would say, you know, well, my parents, even if I got in, we wouldn't have the money to go. And she's like, you should never allow money to be a deterrent for you chasing your dreams. You should never allow it to stop you from at least trying. So my junior year of high school, I heard about this program called QuestBridge. Um, not sure if you're familiar, but um, they pretty much kind of provide four-year, full-year scholarships to students from kind of um, low-income families to go to top schools. So it's everything from like a Yale to Emory to a lot of liberal wow. arts colleges, Amherst, Panoma. Um, and I think they've really grown, so they have more partner schools now. Um, So that's when I first kind of learned more about Yale and, you know, seeing it as an option. I really wanted to go to school in New York. I wanted to go to NYU or Columbia because, again, remember, I was like, I just want to work for magazines and be in media and move to New York City. Um, But I remember filling out the application and I saw Yale and I was like, you know what, I should give it a shot. I think I could do this. And I was like, it's in Connecticut. It's not far from New York. So if I wanted to go to New York, I could. <laughs> so, you know, I made the decision and ranked Yale on my form. Um and then I ended up getting in. And um the cost was fully covered for me to go to Yale. And so, um it was interesting cuz I remember my getting the acceptance letter and my mom was just so excited like she literally cried um and it was funny because she was like I don't know if we should tell your dad yet um and I remember telling my dad and it was like he was semi happy but then his second question was like so how much is this going to cost? And, you know, I think it wasn't until he was like, oh, they're paying for you to go. Okay, that's cool. Um, So it's interesting how much money plays a role into just higher education. Um, I think that was the first time I really got a close up view of that. Um, But I was like, this is also truly a blessing um, that I had the opportunity to go to Yale um, because I really was like, I mean, even through the interview process and stuff, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get in. Like, I'm just a kid from a public school and I'm talking about. I'm competing against kids who have gone to boarding schools, have had private tutors. I had I taught myself the SAT like I self studied like I didn't have all those resources. And so um, I'm just grateful that it all worked out and I had the opportunity to go to a pretty cool school. So, yeah.
0: That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. So, 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 so let's jump into, uh, boss magazine, boss magazine. So when did, when did it start? What was the it, it explain to our audience kind of what it is? When did it start? Where did it come about? Like just, just the whole, the foundation of it all.
1: Yeah. So boss started, I would say around 2012. Well, the, so I started kind of blogging prior to that. Um, I was studying abroad my kind of summer between junior and senior year in London. And I was doing like some freelance projects for CNN at the time because I was like an intern with them. And, you know, I, w- I just had this thought like, you know, I really want to do a women's magazine. We were there. I was out there and I was doing a lot of research on like the lack of black British women of color and, you know, platforms for them there. And I was like, you know, I really want to do a magazine for, you know. Multicultural women. Um, And so I started a site called Liberette at the time. It wasn't even called Boss. And it was just kind of like a general woman's magazine. And I would say a year later, um, I ended up getting like a note from a... Business owner it was some kind of shop owner that actually, I think was in the UK or something. And she's like, hey, you stole my business name, like, you copied my site, everything like just ragged on the whole thing. Um, She had a shop called Liberette, and it was like a lingerie store. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i didn't even know that like i just you know i picked the name cuz i was like you know i'm thinking about liberated women and liberette you know um and so that kind of like caused me to be like okay i need to stop the presses now i don't want to get sued you know like maybe there's a way i can reformat this so that's kind of when boss was born um and i think i just started thinking more so about creating a site that was more in line with my kind of ideals and goals as a woman. You know, I saw myself as someone like, I want to be a self-made success. I'm trying to make it from nothing to something. I'm going to create this platform. So boss started um, there for around 2012. Um, And in the beginning it was kind of just me writing content. I didn't really have a team. Didn't really have any writers. Um, You know, I was trying to pump out as much as possible on my own. Um, I also had a day job where I was working at a TV network um, or TV kind of news tv station sorry um Mm -hmm. and so i worked nights and weekends and um a lot of the times like i was in the station by myself so when i wasn't cutting like videos from our television broadcast i was like working on stories for boss or like coding things and tinkering Um, and that's kind of when boss started to grow and slowly from there we started getting requests from people to write for the site And the just vision of Boss began to bloom. And so it started off kind of this general, like, lifestyle site, didn't really have a lot of direction. And then we kind of focused it more in on the self-made woman. What does it mean to be self-made? How do you legitimately, like, not just, hey, we're going to have this site that inspires people, but how do we teach people how to, like, literally make money, be profitable like become a high net worth individual um and so that's kind of more so what the focus of the site is today and the way that we're moving and that's the direction that we're going in is celebrating girl bosses but really diversifying that story and showing um the multi-layers and the multi-colors of what it means to be a boss woman today
0: Mm, i love that i love that and if you could speak to and this is a it's not an awful question but i'm really i'm really big on aesthetics and what stuff look like and i think uh, there's a lot of people that start blogs out there that have websites and they have great, great I, I love the vision I love what they stand for but aesthetically it's just it doesn't it's not it's not appeasing I look at your site and I think aesthetically it, it looks phenomenal how long did it uh, like what what how long did it take to kind of get get it like how many renovations did it take to kind of get to where it was and are you the main person that that, that takes a look at the 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 aesthetic or can you speak also can you speak to the importance of aesthetics and, and how it looks?
1: Yeah. Um I think so definitely I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Um so if you were to look at the internet wayback machines, like the site where you can look at what sites used to look like, I have so many changes of boss. Um, and that's because I think I'm just a design geek myself. And, you know, I'm like the sole person who manages the design of the site. When I originally launched it, it was just on a wordpress.com. I didn't know anything about coding, site hosting, HTML, anything Um, And then it began with, you You know, I want to change the background color. I want to change the font. And I realized, oh, I have to have a self-hosted site to do all those things. And so I kind of started teaching myself how to code via that platform. Um, And that's when I really started getting into design. And so I would say we've changed the look of boss like at least six to seven times in the past like three years. Um, And I think it was just trying to figure out a design and feel that was right and really spoke to the woman we were trying to target that was clean, that would work on mobile, that was responsive. And so what I would say on design when it comes to um, any kind of like business that you're running, I think, especially today, design is like a key um, feature to what attracts customers. It's a key aspect of your marketing, how clean something looks, how professional it looks, how, you know, how it draws people in, the colors, the tone, the messaging that it sends is very much a part of the branding. I feel like when people come to Boss, they see, like, the big Netflix design. It's just, like, that is what we wanted to emanate about our audience. Like, we target women that are polished and clean and, like, luxurious and like, that is just kind of the message we want to send. And so I believe that your website should truly be a reflection of, you know, your brand and the audience you're trying to target. You know, if your site has a lot of flashy, funky colors on it, then, you know, I'm hoping the brand is funky or something in some kind of way. Um, but if it's, you know, you got comic Sans and all that, like you might want to consider talking to a designer um, to ensure that your site is up to par because I think you could lose a lot of, you know, sometimes you can lose a lot of like potential customers or potential leads because they come to your site and they're like, eh, this don't feel professional enough or mm, they probably just started getting it out or, or they're just starting out. Um, you know, I think design is very much an important aspect of not only, you know, making your stuff look nice, but selling your business, selling your brand. Um so I definitely think, you know, you see that with a lot of startups today. Like designers are key and critical to, you know, communicating your message to your audience, and it's something that I firmly believe in at Boss as well. And I'm very much a stickler about.
0: Mm-hmm. Got you. And I know earlier you mentioned that your this site is venture capitalist backed. So how did mm-hmm. how does how how does a person Gets like how how does a person position themselves or a business position themselves to get backed by a a, a venture capital fund, especially if it's a, if it's a website? Um, because yeah. I think that's that's very unique, and it's like, well, uh, like, what do they get out of it?
1: Right, right. Um, I think so for us, it was quite interesting because um, I had done some business pitching competitions like way back, I would say like 2011, 2012, <laughs> a little bit for Boss and did it secure kind of funding from those avenues. But I think um, that kind of got it, that got people talking and sharing information. And I remember that a um, kind of small angel investment firm based in uh, the Midwest, they had found me on LinkedIn and they saw my site and they like, like they reached out to me and they're like, Hey, like, we really love what you're doing. You know, we'd love to support you with this venture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, they were kind of like months long conversations on that because it's, you know, I'm like investors, what do they want? Like, why are they trying to take my stuff? Like what's going on? Um, and so for us to really position yourself, or I would say for anyone um, I think that's why like design is also very critical. Um, I remember the investors talking to me a lot about, you know, your site looks beautiful. The content is very rich. um, You have a unique positioning. I think unique positioning and being able to differentiate differentiate yourself in the market is very important. Um, And for a content site, it's a little bit more challenging because it's like, okay, how do you make money on content these days? You know, advertising works if you have tons and tons and tons of views. But if you're a little bit smaller, you know, you're thinking about what's going to be your revenue model, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think the best way to really position yourself is like, ex- it's definitely through kind of networking, be a part of these, you know, platforms, going to different competitions, pitching yourself, et cetera, just reaching out, connecting with VCs or people you know who work with VCs, um, but also making sure that when you know, making sure that your your site is ready or your business is ready um, when they do come to you or when that opportunity or timing does hit. Um, when they come to Boss Mag, are they going to see like some scraggly looking site, some janky site, or are they going to see, you know, like a polished magazine with followers and people engaging on the platforms, et cetera. So I think, making sure you're dressing the part and looking the part, you know, it's how they always say, like when you work at a company, you want to dress like the CEO. So people will take you seriously. And one day you'll be the CEO type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like making sure your business is at that level of like, you know, we could be venture backed. We could be, we could have investors. Like we look like we have that money. Um, so that way when the, the opportunity comes knocking at your door, you know, you're ready to get it. Um, so I hope that answers the question to some degree, no, that but is, that's, that, that's yeah, that's how I
0: would think about it. <laughs> gotcha. Now, that, that was a that was a great answer. And uh, how was it during like the cricket stage? Because I know every every majority of sites, some sites they come, they start off and it is boom. But a lot mm-hmm. of times in sites and business, where you first start off, yeah, with with little with little or no fanfare, and I call it like, the cricket stage, where it's just you and you maybe a couple friends that are looking at your stuff. Um, one, how was it during your, if you had initial cricket stage and then also how did you keep your confidence, um, high when, when you first, and it it wasn't a lot of viewership and it was really just, just you and the platform.
1: Yeah, I think we, I definitely went through a cricket stage. Um, and it was early on the first kind of year or so, um, I kept doing it. Yeah, it was definitely like a year. Um, and it was like, you know, I'd get a hundred views a day, maybe, or like less than that. Um, and I think it was definitely like, I had, you know, I was very like proud of it at the time. So I'd share it on my Facebook page and this is before they rejigger things. So you don't get as many views on what you share, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I had a lot of friends that were supportive and, and, and checking out the site. I think though, that the cricket stage was what was helpful in helping me realize how to pivot and how to position the brand. Um, because at that time, I was just kind of shooting all over the place. And it's like, okay, we'd have a beauty post this day and then do a news page this day. And then do. it was just kind of all over. Um, but it wasn't until I really started honing in and focusing on like business level content and entrepreneurial stuff and doing really cool interviews um, that it started to kind of take off and like random people on Twitter would be tweeting at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they love this. Um, and you can definitely like if you were to weed way back into the content, you can kind of see the difference now. Um, but I would say that cricket stage, it was tough, but it like I just kept going and I used it as an opportunity to kind of really test and see what was going to work. And in that, I was able to discover this is what my readers want. They want this boss level content. They want something that's different from what's already out there. Um, And so, yeah, it was definitely a challenging time. There were definitely times where I was like, uh, maybe I should just stop doing it. But, you know, I kept at it. And that's really kind of helped us to get to where we are today, which is in a space where we're still kind of like growing and buzzing on the interwebs and, you know, kind of moving towards more of a stronger launch launch area.
0: Got you. And how, how have you been able to, because I know you mentioned, um, you, I know you do a lot of interviews. So looking. you've you got some pretty, pretty on the on the web space and pretty big names that you've been able to interview, reach out to, whether it be mm-hmm. a video, whether it be a press. So what has been your strategy uh, starting on and how has it grown reaching out and connecting with influencers?
1: Yeah, I think so far, a lot of um, how we've been able to capture boss women on our site has been both um, people reaching out to us and people and us reaching out to people. Um, I think I remember back in the early days, it might've been really hard to secure an interview with some of the people we have on our site now. Um, But then I think, you know, it's, it's, it was always really cool to hear from like, you know, um, um, if, for example, let's say, I don't know, this is idealistic, but if Gabrielle Union's like publicist reached out to us, or if Issa Rae's publicist reached out to us, um, we'd get emails like that and it's like, whoa, like people think boss is really cool. Like, of course we have to secure that interview because having this person on our site helps us attract other boss women to our site. I think it was when we did the, um, one of our writers did an interview with Malik Teal and, you know, that got a lot of traction and then we started hearing from other people. Um, so that's kind of how that worked. I think honestly, we're very, We're very proud of Boss, my team is. And so um, I definitely tell them to shoot for the stars when it goes to reaching out or finding potential boss women to interview. I think there's so many amazing bosses out there that we could have a catalog, maybe even a book of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's hopefully a goal. I'm going to spit that into the universe. But there are so many amazing women out there that we seek to kind of reach out to. So these days, it's really like, you know, shooting a note, but also like using our networks, like, people it's like you always know somebody that knows somebody and so a lot of times it's like me using my network or my friends will be like hey do you know this person they should they would be great for your site or you know someone will reach out to us on instagram like hey would you please like think about interviewing this person et etc etc um so that's kind of how it goes it's just a lot of it is you know um people's like publicists reaching out to us and then It's also us just blindly like, hey, like, we love your brand. We've been following you forever. Like, we'd love to capture your story on Boss. And surprisingly, people will say yes. So you never really know until you try. And I just say, like, what's the worst thing someone's going to say no or not respond? Just move on to the next one.
0: Amen, amen, amen. So, <laughs> what I know and this is this is probably going to be a difficult question, but you've interviewed a lot of people, you've shared a lot of advice, and a lot of your contributor writers shared a lot of great kind and great articles. But what is the what is some unique gems that most people probably uh may not have heard of that you've kind of um got over the years that uh, about. Just about life, our relationships in general. Like, what are some gems that you've captured? Like, whoa, this is some deep stuff that that we're producing on our site.
1: Yeah, I think I would say some of the bigger or the biggest gems that we've heard from people that, you know, we interview but we might not like write it all the way up or we might like not include them. Um, We get a lot of the, you know, you got to do it, just go out there, chase your dreams, et cetera. (laughs) Um, But we also capture a lot of the, hard moments. Um, You know, we've had people on our site, I think we recently did a story with two sisters that um, started Catherine Marion, which is like a natural hair company. And they talked about how, you know, they actually didn't want to continue selling like wigs or creating wigs or whatever. And it's like, wait, what? Like, this is why you're, you're popular. This is why you are who you are. This is why people follow you. Um, And you just hear their stories about the hard moments and when they wanted to quit and when they didn't want to keep going. Um, I think also um, some of the bigger gems that we hear a lot is like. If you can't find the money to do stuff, being willing to kind of invest your own money to grow a business and grow a platform, um, I always find those stories really captivating because it's like, you know, we live in this day and age where everyone's like, oh, I want to get this round of funding or I got to get this VC or I got to win this competition to get my bu- my business started. And then you hear about people that like, you know, I started with five hundred dollars. I started with ten dollars to my name or, you know, we self-funded this. And it's like, what? Or like, you know, we were able to get our friends to invest and help us. Those um, are always powerful stories to capture because I'm like, this is really Speak to the essence of what it means to be a boss, to really just take yourself from the ground up um, on your own. And not saying, like, you never need help in that process, but being able to, like, get through the struggles by yourself. Those moments when you're alone, when your mind is telling you you can't do it, when you're, you know, your pockets are telling you, like, you might not (laughs) have enough money to keep this going. Like, I always am amazed by the fact that people are able to just just fight through those tough moments and then you see the glory on the other side um so I would say those are kind of the biggest gems it's like that that we've kind of captured um over the years with a lot of the women that we've interviewed
0: yeah yeah and this is a, a two for one question right here because I always try to balance uh questions where I'm asking pressing questions but then with with optimism as well and I guess the, the start off would be what what is one area that you think because I, I don't I don't ask is enough but I want to start asking it more. Well, what is one area you think that, that, that for 2017, your key area of focus of improvement for your business? And then what is really working for you well now?
1: Right. Um, so I think the biggest area of improvement right now is kind of our creating a team that works for the brand, um, when I started Boss, it was me and myself, and then it's like okay, we had a couple of like contributors, and then we had like some interns here and there. But I will say our system wasn't really spot on and and serving and supporting the brand the way it should be. Now, given the fact that we have certain you know revenue goals and we have certain goals with our traffic and just building the brand as a as a name as a whole. Um, I recognize like Leanne, you have to let go of the steering wheel and let other people drive and just being willing to fire myself in order to really grow boss. Um, and so I would say that's kind of one of the biggest areas of improvement, this years, like, you know, we want to get community managers, we want to have more people on the team, um, you know, have a paid team and be able to really support people as they help us grow Boss. Um, so that's really important to me. And then I would say an area that's really working for us is, you know, really getting in tune with our writers, uh, or sorry, not our writers, but our readers Um, And really being able to allow them to be a part of our kind of content development process. You know, we started the Boss Squad this year, which is like a free membership community um, for our readers who want to get more in touch with our team and, you know, gain more access to resources that could really help them to improve their lives. And, you know, sometimes, we you know, we reach out to them like, hey, what kind of stories do you want to hear? You know, if we were to interview a self-made millionaire, what what would you ask them? And just having them feel like they're more integral part of the process is a really cool thing. It's almost as if I feel like I have an extended team outside of my team. And so, (laughs) um, yeah, so it's like it has a two for one kind of kind of positive benefit there. And I would say that's really been working for us in regards to just growing the brand, growing a community, like building up little bosses. Like I just love the idea of like helping other people shine and grow. And so that I would say has been a really key kind of positive point um, outside of the areas that
0: we need to improve in. Got you. And our last question on our present round before we jump to the future is, um, knowing what you do today, like I, I always press this question, say if you were entering the room and then you got a chance to talk to yourself back in 2012, that's when you started, right? Mm-hmm. What would what be some advice that you would share with yourself? Oh. Oh, oh. Um,
1: <laughs> so I'm like, I did so many things wrong. You always like go through all this stuff. You're like, oh, if I had done this right, or maybe I'd be there a little bit faster. But I would say um, if I could share my share advice with myself when I first started Boss, I would have gotten, I would have taken digital marketing a little more seriously. Um, given how competitive the space is, for content right now, because it's not just independent publishers. It's not just that, you know, the the traditional kind of legacy publishers out there. You've got corporations creating content. You've got, you know, small businesses creating. I mean, there's so much noise um, and it's such a saturated space. And I think when I first started, you know, I kind of teased at the whole Facebook changing their algorithm thing but back in the day it was like you could post a post on Facebook and get all these likes and now it's like okay you got to pay to yeah, get you're not paying for the advertising
0: you're gonna right, lo- you oh, okay get, how many it's, you gonna it's
1: lose <laughs> it's like a whole locust drive like it's really 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 quiet um and so yeah it's like I think at that time I feel like okay if I had kind of gotten ahead of this back then maybe we'd you know been hit X amount of views, or we would have been had 20,000 followers, etc. You know, we're definitely in that space. Now we're getting there, we're definitely growing. Um, But I would say that would be the one thing is like, Leanne really take digital marketing, or marketing the brand more seriously. A lot of people look at marketing as like, this necessary evil. It's like, I got to spend money to, you know, promote my business. Why? Um, But to some degree, it's like, you kind of have to you know tell people where your shop is when you first open it no one knows where it is and then hopefully that word of mouth will spread and you won't have to spend so much in the long term um but really just seeing my site as a business and taking that marketing more seriously is kind of the biggest thing i would have would have would say to
0: my 2012 self (laughs) So yeah i got you so let's transition to our future round so what's next for boss magazine in 2017 and beyond
1: Ooh, what's next? So we have some really exciting things that we're thinking about. Um, we just recently kind of launched our VIP paid membership um, oh, wow. aspect of the Boss Squad. So right now we kind of like we started off with a free membership um, in the beginning of the year. You can still kind of opt into the free community. But um, we decided to launch like a VIP membership so we could have a better kind of closer connection with our boss women or aspiring boss women. And so that kind of aspect is kind of uh, we're going to provide kind of one-on-one coaching. Um, It's more of a mastermind group to really make women be more actionable and accountable to their goals and say, okay, if you join the VIP group, this is your goal going in. When you leave, these are the things that you're going to get out of it. So definitely kind of offers courses and stuff like that, that kind of content. For them, a very more like premium level um, of access. So that's one thing that we have cooking. And then another thing that we're kind of considering is getting into the space of incubating um, businesses for women, uh, multicultural women in general. Um, I feel like, and this is kind of a top line conversation about diversifying the tech space, diversifying kind of the space in regards to entrepreneurship in general, you know, women of color, we're the fastest growing group of um, entrepreneurs, both Black, Latinas, et cetera. Um, But we're also the group that doesn't get the most funding or access to investors or, you know, um, just support and resources to really grow a business and learn and mentorship, et cetera. Um, So we're really kind of thinking about um, experimenting with kind of like Boss Labs to some degree. Um, We haven't really built the whole idea out, but more so just thinking about really having a closer look of, you know, we have access to all these women that want to be bosses. They have business ideas. What would happen if we invested in some of those ideas and help them grow it or just help them launch it? What would that look like? Um, I'm really excited about that and, and really seeing where that could go. And it just kind of speaks to, you know, the brand and what we're creating an extension of what boss is. So I would say those are like the two biggest things um, that we currently have going on for the future of the site.
0: Oh, that, that is, I can't wait. That's some, that's some, some meaty stuff. That is some meaty. (laughs) Um, That's going to require a lot of work that, uh, with the full-time job. So congratulations.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, definitely the goal is to be able to, you know, make that smooth transition, but also, you know, like, and this is why I talk about the team is like being able to have a team that can help us drive a lot of this forward. Cause I know I can't do it on my own. So that's very important as well.
0: Nah, you're you're right you're right you're right so um and how do you and how do you go about planning for the future because I know these ideas just come out the air and I know everybody had a different type of planning processes but I'm always finding it interesting to ask people how do you plan what does it look like are you the person that has all these diagrams and vision boards around in your room or are you the person that meticulously goes through x y and z or are you the person that kind of just is moved by the spirit
1: hmm I think for me you know I have a lot of I would say, so I have a few close friends that kind of advise me on Boss to some degree. Not necessarily they tell me what to do, but they're always like coming up with, one friend in particular, he's always coming up with really dope ideas for Boss and like, hey, you should consider doing this. Hey, you could do that. He's really good at like kind of innovating in product ideas and stuff like that. Um, So I always kind of have these close ears to the ground, kind of being like, man, you should do this, you should do that. Um, But for me, when it comes to planning out these things, I like to kind of sit in a quiet space and really just write and map things out. Like, I have like a journal or like a notebook or whatever that I kind of like, you know, I'll come up with an idea. Like, let's say it's Boss Labs or whatever. And I'm like, well, what would this look like? And, you know, who would I have on my advisory board? Who do I need to talk to? And I kind of work my way back from the big idea to the smaller steps and then start kind of, you know, making a list for myself. I'm like, okay, every day I want to do something that's going to get me closer to this goal. So today it might be like, I need to research you know, 10 partners we need to work with. And then, you know, how are we going to find the money to do this? Or how big will we want the first cohort to be, et cetera? Um, So that's kind of how my planning process works. It's very much like I can't have a lot of noise around. I might play some light music to just calm me down mentally. But it's really like, okay, I need to sit down with myself in a room and think this out. And that's just kind of how my brain works. And then it's like, okay, once I have thought out everything, I start creating the steps of execution and then just kind of go kind of full force into that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's similar similar to myself. That's why I don't – I'm a big space guy. I like space. And space allows you to create and to think through stuff. But mm-hmm. when you say yes to a lot of things, like you said, going back to what we first talked about, where you overcommit to things, then your time becomes – very slim. So then you don't have the time to really think critically through. Okay, I don't have enough money to do this. Okay, how can I get those steps? Or well, who do I need the contact to do this? Like you said, that whole process. But a lot of times we don't get to those underlying steps to get there because we're just busy help over helping everybody else out or doing stuff. We probably honestly is not going to move the meter. Spending hours yeah. doing stuff to just really and I was I I, I delete a Bible study and I was like, imagine what the world would look like if we spent just say 10% more time on stuff that really matters. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Like, think about it. If you're listening to this podcast right now, think about this, this day so far. And I don't know, especially if you're listening to it in the evening, how much time you spent on stuff that trivial stuff that didn't matter. It just you would you would be able to to do and think critically about whatever you're doing, whether it's losing weight, whether it's getting like finance. A lot of these stuff, there's so many there's so many solutions to it. But if you don't spend the time even thinking to it, you'll never get to the solution.
1: No, that's real. That's real.
0: So when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, how do you want to re- be remembered? Not Boss Magazine or whatnot. How would you like Lee Ann to remember?
1: Um. I would say that I really hope that, you know, when I look back on my life and other people look back on my life, that they say Leanne was a woman who tried and who conquered. Um, She was a woman who really saw a dream, chased it for herself, was super ambitious And then helps other people do that as well. I really hope people will say that, you know, Leanne was a person that lifted as she climbed. She lifted up as she climbed. Um, She was open. She was warm. She was creative. She was driven, but she was always a friend. Um, She was always there to support others. I think That's something important that I think about in my life. You know, sometimes I'm like, you know, we have this capitalist society and money is important. And yes, you know, I want to be self-made. I want to be a boss and all these things. But at the end of the day, I also want to be someone that just helps others get there too. And, And the same level of belief and encouragement that I give myself in the morning when I wake up or when I pray, et cetera, I want other people to have that. I've lived in conditions where I've seen people who gave up on their dreams or watch people that, you know, never had a chance to do those things. Um, and I would just hope that I'd be able to do that in my lifetime, whether it's helping one person, whether it's helping multiple women through my site, um, just helping them believe and knowing that they could see me as a role model in that as
0: well. Love that tastefully said, tastefully said. So our last round, the most exciting round, a culture change round where I ask five questions and I get rapid fire answers. Are you ready?
1: Oh, gosh, I hope
0: so. (laughs) What is the best piece of advice that you have never received?
1: Mm, Oh, my gosh. Wait, how am I supposed to know what it is? (laughs) Yeah, I know. If I've never received it. huh?
0: Don't get too deep. Um, Okay, I won't get to
1: you. <laughs> I think, um, I, uh, I don't even think I know. I guess I would say, like, uh, eat healthy food because healthy foods not only make you look good, but also make you think better. It really has an effect with your whole body and mind. So I would say eat healthy food.
0: Nobody's ever told you that?
1: Well, people have told me to like eat your vegetables or finish your food (laughs) on your plate. I very much grew up in a household that was like clean your plate. People are starving, blah, 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 blah. Not saying no one said like eat healthy foods, but they've never said it to the degree of like eat healthy foods because it does X, Y and Z to your body. And really realizing that until I've done it. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) If you could add one personal habit to your life, what would it be?
1: Um, I guess I would say getting better about like setting out my clothes before the next day Um, because I, I struggle in the morning sometimes because I'm like, oh, I want to wear this outfit and this outfit looks really nice. It's really polished, but I feel like I would save more time if I was able to get in the habit of picking out my outfit the day before. That's,
0: that would be the one thing. <laughs> mm. So what's stopping you from doing that? Uh,
1: um, I think it's more so my time and my schedule right now. I am at a place where I, you know, I'm like working and I have boss, and then I'm going to meetings that by the time I get home, I'm like sinking into my bed. So like I don't <laughs> even have the time, like the thought of doing that is like a little bit of extra work. So um, I'm just like, OK, how can I just plan in like five extra minutes to do that every night?
0: Nah, I, I, I completely, completely, completely understand. It's all, life is all about seasons. And sometimes you just got to address, like, this, this, this is not the season for me to be planning my stuff. Well, next season, we'll, we'll give it another go. But it just, I don't know. Cause one, at that time I said, I want to wake up at, cause I, I really wake up really, really early, at like 4.30. But then in this season of my life, 4.30 is not going to rock. It's just not working. So I used to get really <laughs> depressed. I'm like, yo, I'm all people know me. I run, I run five miles every morning at 4.30. But I'm like, this last couple months, I haven't waking up at 4.30. And I just, but I finally Ooh. had to come to a grist with myself. Like, it's this this season, with my job and responsibilities and roles, it's just not what it is what it is. And I came to that conclusion. And now I'm just, I feel a lot more better about myself because I just, I acquitted to a season, not my lack of discipline. So that right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. A, it, it sounds like a cop-out, but I'll be back at 4.30 in, uh, I guess, a couple months. Uh, but what is your favorite book and why?
1: Ooh, I have so many. I think my you favorite a book... If you,
0: if you, if you if you, if you need it.
1: Yeah, I think I have a lot, but I would say my one favorite book is called The Success Principles. It's by Jack Kingfield. He was the author of the Chicken, book, uh, chicken Soup for the Soul series. And it's such a great book because... It just talks about a lot about a lot of it is like the law of attraction and bringing in positive things into your life and just how much the mind controls, like how you feel about yourself, how you think about yourself, how you live life. Um, and like the number one rule in the book is like you're 100 percent responsible for everything that happens in your life. Like that's it. And so being able to commit to that is just it's really a life altering kind of thought process. Um, and just that, that book really, I would say is one of the, one of the few that really changed the way I thought about my life and the way I lived my life. Um, so that would be my strongest like book recommendation
0: by far. Wow. That's, uh, I got to check that out. I know, I, I know Jack can I I'm definitely a fan of his works, but I'd never read that book. So I'm definitely going to check that out. What inspires yeah. you the most and keeps you motivated?
1: I would say what inspires me the most is um successful women. I don't know what it is the power of feminine energy or just like like girl power but i'm I'm talking about everything from beyonce everyone from beyonce to an Oprah to um you know Emily Weiss, like the founder of um um, into the glosses blog and her like makeup company, et cetera, like I just there's something about women that are able to succeed in very like male dominated spaces a very non traditional or traditional spaces where there's not a lot of diversity. I think it's such a powerful story and such a powerful like thing to watch their journeys, watching them battle through no's and seeing how they make it and how they dust haters off. I'm like, it's such a like, I feel like a superwoman just like thinking about it. It's like I sometimes channel the energy of these like super bosses and I'm like, all right, today I'm going to get it. I'm going to go out there and do it. So that to me is really what inspires me. I'm like, if I'm having a bad day or like I'm dealing with some crazy mess, I'm like, you know, what would Beyonce do right now? Not even think about this. And so just like, keep it going. Um, and so, yeah, I would say like, that's kind of what inspires me. is like watching other women like rise and just kill it on the daily. It's amazing.
0: Love that. Love that. Love that. And last question of this round before we do our customary last question of the whole podcast is if you're the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do?
1: Oh, the first thing I would do is um, I would make education or I would do something about higher education and probably making it either free or just reducing the amount of student loans that people have. I really feel like, and I'm very... Debt averse when it comes to like life, um, you know. I've thought a lot about advanced degrees and stuff, and I just, I, I, just like I've seen the way that debt affects people and holds people back, and like sometimes you get into debt by making poor decisions, the poor, you know, monetary choices. But a lot of times, people, especially young college grads or like even, you know, parents that want to go back to school, it's like they're almost limited by what they can do or where they can live or like even starting a business because it's like, you know, I owe Sally Mae X amount of dollars a month. Um, So if I were president, I think that would be the first thing I would want to focus on changing is our higher education system and the way like certain schools operate almost as corporations. I just don't think people should be broke or out of luck or feel like they spent X amount of hundreds of dollars on a school and they can't even find a job to pay back those loans. Um, yeah, that's just like a crisis in our country, um, among other things. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that would be the one thing I'd, I'd do first. Mm, I
0: love that. I love that. I love that. So our last question of this whole podcast is specific. in um, if you could change, cause I, I call myself the culture change agent. I love, I love that moniker, especially now that I've seen, and I, and I thought about this and since 2013, not to say I was the first one to say culture change and all the other stuff, that whole pedagogy, whatever. But now I, it's, it's, it's funny to see, I see culture change and all this other stuff around all across the internet. It's really a hot topic. So I'm glad that. I was one of the first to have that moniker to coin that. But I now believe that everybody's a culture change agent in some capacity, specifically people like yourself and people that bring on this podcast in general that are pushing the culture forward. So it's not just it's not just me. It's it's, it's a lot of people. But we do live in a culture now, specifically in America, that still has a lot of room for change and growth, Mm. specifically for people um, of color. So. The last question is always focusing on that. And if you could change one thing about society, most specifically the things that L our American culture f- for the people of color, what would it be and why?
1: I would say working better together is something I would want to change. Um, I feel like I, and this is something I've experienced as an entrepreneur, as a woman, um, especially a woman of color. It's like we have this dual kind of layer of, um, a barrier there, being both a woman, being black, um, is that I often find that we as women of color are very smart, very bright, very driven. Um, and we work really good independently in silos, but it's really hard, or I found it hard for some people to collaborate and work together. I feel like, you know, you'll see there's a lot of competing sites. There's a lot of like, oh, I have a black woman site and X, Y, and Z. Um, but just to reach out and get like, an interview might be hard or, you know, if you don't have a certain number of views, well, I'm not talking to you. And I think these are some of these, like, some of this is like personal things my team has dealt with. Certain, Certain, certain some of these things, sorry, are things that, you know, just I've had in conversations with other female entrepreneurs of color. It's like, you know, it's sometimes hard for us to work together. I feel like, you know, Black women, we are, very much strong and beautiful etc but sometimes we're almost competitive to ourselves and that's almost a detriment that keeps us from growing in upward mobility you know and you can see that when it comes to like circulating the black dollar within our community and you know well i'm not supporting this business because they have poor service or this or that it's like if we could learn better ways to work together i think we could really just lift as a culture and just grow um you know, so I just say that to say that I hope more people are open and willing to have conversations with other entrepreneurs and willing to find ways to collaborate, whether it's just sharing content or sharing news or just being there to congratulate someone when they win. Not feeling like it's a fight if you're not on the Forbes 30 under 30 list or you don't, you know, like it just it shouldn't be that way. We should work better together. because That's the only way we're really going to rise together.
0: No, uh, I, I... I agree with those sentiments wholeheartedly. And it's and I appreciate you giving me well over an hour of your time on this uh, Saturday. And you're in New York right now, right?
1: Yes, I am in Brooklyn, New York. Even though <laughs> for
0: some reason in your background, I mean, I guess because you just got a Southern vibe. I don't get the vibe like you're in New York right now.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm not outside in the city buzzing. I'm, I'm like in, but I think this is what I love about Brooklyn is the fact that I'm kind of like a little outside of the city. So it's like, calmer on Saturdays like people aren't up and running around yet um so yeah but I I definitely appreciate you taking the time to include me as part of your podcast it's definitely been fun um and you know I've definitely seen your work on LinkedIn and just you're you're really killing it and I appreciate what you're doing um except especially for the culture so thank you so much in including me in your journey and you know I hope to look back on this as a really powerful and Cool
0: moment and I'm just glad that I got to get a lot of people before they really really have their big moment I just hope mm-hmm. that y'all just don't forget about me uh, of course not. Oh man, oh God, I did something for this little podcast this guy named Greg. I don't know you. No, like, Greg so, Hill, nah, how could we? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. So, it's, so Minority Troublemaker Nation, you already know what I always do, what I always say, and how I always act. We have four words to end this show, and I know you saying Mr. Hill. I know what the four words are. You know, I'm going to hear them again. The four words are: remember to change the freaking culture. I know that was like seven words. Good night.